Mula Vinaka, hello everyone. I'm Ashwini Prabha from the Listening to the Earth campaign. I have the pleasure of being with Nigel Topping today, champ- climate champion for the government of the United Kingdom, to speak about what listening to the earth means for him and for events like the upcoming COP27. So Nigel, as a Pacific Islander, we have been experiencing climate change for quite a long time in fact and since over 20 years ago we've been talking about the signals of climate change and erosion and coral bleaching that we see in our environment and now this is a buzzword for everybody everywhere in the world now with the signals that nature is giving us how would you suggest people go into cop listening to the nature how do they ensure that they can connect to the nature when they are in environments such as the UNFCCC negotiations that's coming up yeah it's a good question i mean al gore once said in in this very powerful way that he can say that um every night on watching the, is on the evening news is like going on a nature tour through the book of revelation you know the book of apocalypse because we're seeing the evidence of our and when i say our i mean collective humanity and i know that's very that's one group of really caused the problem and a different group who are suffering from it so there's but i think we you know it i mean it's terrible news in that climate change is real and here now but um it it cause it does help people take it seriously who maybe have been thinking it's going to happen to someone else somewhere else so that that kind of direct experience of floods then droughts then fires um and of course which which the island communities have been feeling for a long time now right which is which is i mean you know the our race to zero campaign is all about getting to zero as fast as possible and it's inspired by the islanders in paris saying chanting 1.5 to stay alive right and and, and i think now that's been translated into the language of economics as well right i mean because it's, it's it's kind of important that we can be inspired by nature but we're we but, but the world's run by money right so it's not enough just to be inspired we have to translate that inspiration into practical action so i don't think we have a problem inspiring people now i think the problem is more how to turn that inspiration into practical action and that that you know it's funny you know i i am um, in a way my journey you say you've been working on climate change for 19 years i think i started 16 years ago when i was studying at schumacher college and um i remember having a sense that um there's a lot of people shouting wake up wake up you know our house is on fire and i think what's happened is not everybody but the world is largely awake now and the the difficulty is if you've been shouting wake up wake up our house is on fire for 20 years that kind of becomes your job but when everyone wakes up they don't need you to say wake up anymore they need you to say where's the water how can i help and so i think we 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 have a lot of activists who are kind of in that pivot now and then, and it's no good just saying it's a disaster it's urgent no one's doing anything because we're not doing enough but a lot of people are doing stuff and are trying and we need to get more specific about what needs to be done what governments need to do what businesses need to do what banks need to do what universities need to do because just shouting at people to wake up when they're already awake but frightened and confused isn't enough 
So when we go into COP27, what kind of mindset should we take in order to be awake, take action, and uh, in, in, in the sense of listening to the earth at the same time? Yeah, so I think we should be very clear that this is a crisis and that the earth is screaming that at us. You know, you, I mean, fires, droughts, floods, hurricanes, we're seeing it really every week, right? Um, and all over the world. So we should be very clear that it's a, it's a, it's a current crisis and the earth is telling us that and then this and the science is telling us and our response so far has been woefully inadequate like we're way behind where we need to be um but then i think our our stance should be one of sort of determined thoughtful action um i mean determined that means that we've got to do difficult things but thoughtful in that we do have to think about what we do and not just run around um, and um, so we have to think about how do we increase the deployment of renewable. I've just been in the Caribbean. The Caribbean islands would save tens of billions of dollars by moving towards renewable energy. So why is that not happening? Because there's a prima facie economic case to do it. They're very sunny, windy islands, um, as all the tropical islands are. And it's it's because... Um, it's not because of lack of money, it's because of the need for the enabling policy. And, and, and we're seeing island after island when they do fix the enabling policies and the money flows um, and, and they stop having to import expensive, volatile, um, both chemically and price-wise, um, hydrocarbons. Um, so I think determined and thoughtful um, and uh, not, 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 not panicky. And it's a hard balance to strike, right? Because... <laughs> How do you act with urgency? But I think of it about like when, when, when um, you know, in theatres, um, when the first theatre fire happened, nearly everyone died because everyone panicked and tripped up o over each other. So, you know, you, you always hear this in a fire, you know, you need to calmly, in control, thoughtfully walk out, help those who need help, don't run. You know, so some, sometimes rushing and panicking actually makes things um, a lot worse. And it's a difficult balance to strike, right? Because it it's not like take your time, you know, hang, you know, take photographs on the way out. No, go out as fast as you can, but without create, without making the problem worse. You know, I've spent a lot of time in the mountains and um, as a young man more. And, and, and um, the first advice when in an emergency is don't make things worse by your response. Um, so I think, yeah, thought, thought, thoughtful and determined is what we need to be now. So now zooming out into your personal life, I mean, everything you've said, how do you apply that as a climate champion? Like what has been your um, solution or tools in, in how you have connected to nature or how you have maybe listened to the earth or being sort of uh, thoughtful? Uh, do you have any anything to share on your personal experience in terms of uh, how you connect? I mean, my whole journey into becoming a climate champion starts with um, Greenland. Um, and as a young man, I went to Greenland twice on, um, on, on scientific and climbing expeditions. And in 1987, which is a long time ago now, I was 21 and I was on a climbing expedition and uh, to East Greenland 
and um, and and we were doing some scientific data collection from the snout of a glacier. So where the glacier was going into the sea, Semelik Glacier is a big glacier that drains East Greenland. And when we got to where we were supposed to be doing the science on the map, there's no glacier. And you're a young scientist and young and a young um, mountaineer. Maps are the truth, right? You rely on them to survive. So when something's not on the map, your first assumption is that you've made a mistake and that actually you've, you've navigated wrong. It took us a long time to realize that the map was, was, we were where we had planned to be, but the glacier wasn't there anymore. This is, remember, this is before digital maps and, 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 and satellites so you could see everything in real time. Um, we eventually realized that the glacier had retreated by 15 kilometers since the map had been surveyed. Um, and you could see on the far side, it's a very big fjord, little bits of ice floating out. And on the far side, you could see that the rock had a very clear line. It was light below and dark above. And that's what um, I think scientists call it um, lichenometry. The lichen grows very slow. So when you have a sudden retreat of the ice, it reveals clean rock. So we, what we were seeing was mm -hmm. rock lichen and then a clear line and then rock without lichen. So, uh, so from age 21, it's been very, very clear to me that the earth is telling us that we're intervening in a big way. So I've never had any question in my mind. And then secondly, um, you then need science to help explain that, right? And by a coincidence, um, my wife and I, who've been married for 23 years, are connected by a chain of three glaciologists who are all, then they were all just young mountaineers who wanted to study ice to, so they could, as an excuse to be in the mountains. Now they're all professors of um, glaciology. So um, I think I've also then always been around scientists who are studying the issue and understanding the, the the dynamics it's, and then and then and then now i'm you know i every week i spend time in nature i live in the west of england I, i'm either on the coast or often on dartmoor which is a small wilderness area just you know being in the wind and the rain um even the sun recently it's not very often down there but i find that personally just really important just to re just to come back to, to the ground literally and feel the wind and um, be centered again before you know, doing this really complicated, challenging work. Just in terms of your personal experiences and connection with nature, I mean, is there any practices that you do as well? Like, especially during chaotic cops, like when things are going really wild and busy and conflicting demands coming, do you have anything else or do you just go out for a nature walk and that does the job of like, uh, brushing off anxiety or any any commotions uh, well, and confusion might come when i'm traveling if i can i like so i like to get some uh, uh, some bird watching in so i was in the bahamas recently at a um, meeting with 22 um, of the governments preparing for cop and i managed to get an hour in the morning with the chief scientists of the um national the bahamian national trust um bird watching which is, you know, and, and learning, learning about some of their challenges. You know, actually we saw, we saw a massive green eyed iguana high up in a tree, learned that that's an, that's an invasive species. So, you know, even in, even, even in this beautiful, um, well, it look, looks like a paradise, there's still the, the same challenges of, of um, habitat destruction, extinction and invasive species. So that, but that's always, I find a way of really reconnecting because just because it forces you to observe in real detail, you know, looking at the birds and trying to see what birds you've got. And, um, and when I was in uh, U U Uganda recently, I was also able to go and do some um, 
bird watching and see a shoebill heron, which is an amazing kind of prehistoric looking bird. In the cops, it's more a question of, of um, walking slowly. It's my main practice, like, because, you know, I'm speaking 10 times a day and just trying not to get into that sort of anxious rushing and try and be measured. And, and in Glasgow, we had, we had some, some wonderful help from the, some Zen monks from Plum Village in France um, who did some daily meditations um, that really just helps bring everyone back to the breath and back to the to the earth. Even if you're in, even if you're in a, even if you're in a big building, you're still breathing the same molecules that are being exchanged with the trees outside. That's a great one to, for me to kind of go to the concluding question, which is like, how can we bring this connection to nature in a more concrete way into these kind of spaces and meetings, like? what you've just mentioned as an example is one thing, but can there be more concrete places and situations created where in these big meetings, whether it's COP or another meeting indoors, how can people connect to the earth or listen to the nature or actually give mother nature a more uh, concrete seat at the table? Like, uh, do you have any creative ideas on that? Well, you know, I have long thought that um, we should, you know, when I, when I ran a manufacturing business in Germany, in Germany and some other countries, they have a law which says that, the, that there must be a place in the governance for the representatives of employees, right? So even if it's just one voice out of 10, having a seat at the table changes the conversation. You can't outvote, but you can make sure that the conversation doesn't start to be dismissive or abusive of your concerns because it's like, wait, wait, wait a minute, what are you saying? Um, so I have long thought that, governance structures should have a voice of nature and a voice for the future. So somebody who's there, whose job is to represent nature in the conversation and somebody whose voice is to represent future generations. Um, and we, you know, we see some, some innovation in terms of future generations. We see some um, sort of parliamentary groups which lawmakers are consulting with of young people. We see in Wales, which is one of the countries of the United Kingdom, they have a commissioner for future for the well-being of future generations whose job is to filter um, to check that laws are not jeopardizing future generations so i think you have to if you don't embed it in governance then it's just it's it, it's very easy for it just to become lip service and i mean formal governance so i would actually like to see listed companies have to have a representative of the future and a representative of nature on their boards That would change like the that. We'll see how we can make that happen at the U next UNFCC conference, right? And maybe you can come in now on any tips and advice that you might have uh, for us on that point, how we should bring this into COP27. Well, I was just thinking about that because I remember um, the, the power of a small moments meditation, which we had with our friends from Plum Village. And... I think, I think you could create a space and, you know, you only need one plant, right, to represent nature. You know, often in these buildings are often, I mean, I think we're getting better at having greenery in the buildings, right? But you, can, you only need one plant to represent the, the, the beauty and the complexity and the interconnectedness of nature. And I think you could create very small moments of reflection. Don't ask everyone to come up for two hours, but just a little five minute or 10 minute meditation on our connections with nature maybe first thing in the morning and just offer it as a 
It's also a mental health practice, right? There's a lot mm -hmm. of anxiety. Um, uh, so I think you could do creative things with a, a little representation of nature in, in and invite people into moments of reflection and reconnection to remind us what why we're doing all this. Thank you so much, Vinaka Vakalevu. It's been excellent speaking to you and thanks for making time to share your personal experience and also the vision of how things can go in a positive direction when we are more connected to the nature. So thanks for that, Nigel. And if you want to say anything else, have any last words uh, to share with us, that's welcome as well. No, last thing I say, just th thank you for, um, you know, even this conversation just brings me back to I mean, the two reasons why I do this work, one is a sort of is a rage at the injustice that is structurally built into the world, which means that islands are sinking and communities in Africa are, um, are starving because we haven't collectively tackled the problem, even though we've known about it for decades. Um, and the other one is that I love wilderness. And for me, it means icy mountains. Um, and for other people, it means tropical islands, but it's still, it, that's what sustains us both spiritually and also physically, right? So. Um, I think I think it's really great that you even in this conversation you're bringing me back and so yeah if there's anything we can do during COP27 if you've got some some things you want us to help um, champion um, and we it's funny you remind me we try and start all of our meetings with a minute silence but well I'm, I'm thinking oh we have we've, we you know we keep you keep we keep forgetting that because <laughs> we get into agendas and delivery so it's just a good reminder it's a great it's a great practice right to, to do that that's excellent. We'll make sure that we come in with that proposal.